With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Breaking down every game every day in Major League Baseball, this is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson. A warm up for the low. Welcome to Lovey Las Vegas for the baseball betting show with myself, Greg Peterson, now part of the Beast and Family Podcast. We've got a tremendous podcast for you. We're going to be joined in segment number two by Charlie Disturco. He does great work over at Action Network, and he's joined me quite a bit on this podcast. We're going to break down the Wednesday card with him, take a look at some of the teams, slash, some of the pitchers in general that have been treating him well, slash, not well recently as well as it has been a very interesting start to the season for many of these teams, many of these players in general, and now we're starting to see things iron out, except for some of the pitchers. He's going to list off some of the guys that you might be wanting to look out for for a little bit of regression, then we're going to be diving into the games that we've got on Wednesday in the final segment. Going to give you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this MLB Wednesday as we touch them all. If you have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways we offer those in. First one is by Twitter timeline at gnet underscore 81. Keep in mind, letters M. Maybe it does not matter, so as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it's very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. Really did not get in any Twitter questions today, but we had a great day of baseball on Tuesday. So let's take a look back at it. Try to find some trends in. Try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A game from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. Little bit of cleanup from Monday as well. For those that took the DK Nation right up pick, very easy under 2-1 to one the final. You had a home run from Luis Roberts, 22nd of the campaign in the first setting for the White Sox, and that's all they got off of Reed Detmers, who went seven innings, gave up that solo homer. Jacob Webb, Carlos Aceves, the scoreless setting from there. Shoei Otani goes deep off of Dylan Cease, his 26th home run season, and we don't have the result for Tuesday quite yet. I have to record this a little bit in advance because the Greg Peterson experience is from midnight to 3 Eastern time on VSIN, so I have to record this more around 10 o'clock p.m. Eastern time, but he went deep once again for his 27th home run of the season. 
on Tuesday, but for Dylan Cease, 10 punch outs, gave up that one run in six innings, and then Aaron Bummer, he had a few wild pitches that got away from him, he allows the game-winning run that was put on by Rinaldo Lopez, Joe Kelly, a scoreless inning as well, and then we did see the Seattle Mariners get an 8-4 win, I know that there were many that were not happy about a strike three call on Jameer Candelario that ended the game, but you did have a pair of home runs, Dominic Smith, third home run of the campaign, Lane Thomas, his 14th, they both went deep off of Luis Castillo, gave up three runs, two of which earned, but filled seven innings, Taylor Saucedo gave up a run from there in two-thirds of an inning. Andres Munoz scoreless inning and Paul Sewell, beneficiary of that strikeout calling with Seattle. Yeah, J.P. Crawford get his sixth home run season and Eugenio Suarez his eighth as they both went deep off of Trevor Williams who gave up three runs in four innings and then Corey Abbott gave up five runs in three and a third for a national team that currently has the worst bullpen in terms of ERA in the big leagues and their game just got started as I am doing this podcast and they gave up two runs in the first inning so might be another long night for them as Oscar Hernandez in that Tuesday game goes deep. I believe that that is home run number 15 of the season for him. In terms of the finals that we got on Tuesday, shock, shock, surprise, surprise, Julio Tehran regress for the Milwaukee Brewers. 7-2. The Mets are able to get this one in as for the Brewers, Julio Tehran gives up four home runs, seven runs in total of five and two-thirds innings. Call up Caleb Bowsley, please, as for Brandon Nimmo, he goes deep twice, ninth and 10th home runs of the season. Francisco Lindor is 16th. Daniel Vogelbeck is 15th. David Peterson, great day for the Petersons. Six scoreless innings. Jeff Brigham does give up two runs of two-thirds of an inning, but Dominique Leon runs out the bullpen scoreless. Drew Smith able to land a scoreless inning, as well as Peter Strezalecki, one and a third inning scoreless. Bryce Wilson, a scoreless inning for the Brewers as well. The Pittsburgh Pirates. They took it to the San Diego Padres by kind of nine to four as Reese Kennard got the surprise start in this one. He wasn't expected to go far and his night was cut even shorter by the fact that he stunk. He gave up five runs in two innings. Certainly Hugh Darvish might have been able to give a better start as going deep off of him. Carlos Santana is seventh home run season. Jack Swinitsky is 16th and then home run number one of the season for Nick Gonzalez as he comes in and is able to get that home run off of Adrian Morajon who gave up three runs of one and two thirds innings. You did have three innings with one honored run given up by Drew Carlton, and, and you had Brent Honeywell give you one and a third inning scoreless. And for the Padres, they do go four of nine with men in scoring position as Rich Hill does allow four runs over the course of six innings, but Ronzi Contreras, a three inning save. So the Pirates made up with their offense. They had scored four runs or fewer in 38 out of their previous 47 games prior to Tuesday. Giants take it to the Blue Jays, 3 to 0 the final as for the Giants. It was Alex Wood who had a opener and Ryan Walker in front of him do a masterful job. These two guys combined for six scoreless settings with 10 punch outs, 17 strikeouts in total for the Giants as you had Camilo Duvall along with Tyler Rogers piecemeal together the final three inning scoreless. And for Toronto, Kevin Gosman, tough luck loser. 12 strikeouts, gives up one run in six innings, and he takes a loss. From there, Eric Swanson gives up two runs in one and a third innings. Dave Pearson, one and a third innings scoreless, and Mitch White gets it out of the bullpen. So the misery of the Jays continues. The misery of the Boston Red Sox has been all over the place this season. They're back to 500, 10-1. The Miami Marlins get a win at Sandy Alcantara. Might be his best start in quite some time. One run surrendered in seven innings. The place where Boston has really been hitting the ball hard as Archie Bradley lends two scoreless innings from there and a pair of home runs for Miami as well. Brian De La Cruz, he gets his ninth home run season. Gene Segura is second. Those both come off of Garrett Woodlock, who did not have himself a night. Two home runs allowed, six runs in total and four and two-thirds innings from there. Justin Garza gives up one run in two innings. And then you had Joe Jaquez come in for two and a third innings. He allowed three runs from there. 
the Atlanta Braves. They got on Joe Ryan very, very quickly. They put up six runs in the first two innings, and they win by a count of 6-2. From there, things were able to settle down as Joe Ryan only makes it three innings. He gives up six runs, all of which were in, including five, count them, five home runs. Ronald Acuna Jr. gets two, his 18th and 19th home runs of the season. Michael Harris, his seventh home run season. Austin Riley, his 14th. And then you have Sean Murphy, his 13th. The Braves, by the way, have the best win percentage and both home and on the road in the National League this season as Bryce Elder continues to be solid. Did give up four walks, but gave up just two runs over the course of six innings. With the Twins, they went 0 of 10 with men in scoring position. And the bullpen after Joe Ryan was relatively solid. Alvaro Ortega, three scoreless innings. Brett Hedrick was able to give you two scoreless as well. And for the Braves, Michael Tonkin, two scoreless innings. Ben Heller was able to end a scoreless setting as well. And he also did have three errors in the field from the Atlanta Braves. And the Minnesota Twins cannot capitalize one bit. They are currently leading the AL Central at 40-41. and 41. That is very, very stark. This is a game that is rain-delayed, and we have no idea what's going to be happening here as it's in the top of the eighth inning. Might get called, might not get called. Reds are currently up by a count of 2-1 to one as Andrew Abbott. One run allowed over the course of six innings. Lucas Sims, he was able to end a scoreless setting as well, by the way. If you have the under in this game, you do want it to get played because a lot of books, most books, they will not award this under unless if the losing team gets 27 outs. Matt McClain, sixth home run season for the Cincinnati Reds. That comes off for Tyler Wells, who pitched relatively Wells, giving up two runs over the course of six innings. Keegan Aiken from there has been able to lend a scoreless inning. Looks like the Cardinals might be able to get this one to the window. They are currently up by a count of 42 on the Houston Astros. For the Astros, they get a pair of runs early on in this game and nothing past that. Martin Maldonado gets his fifth home run season off of Jordan Montgomery. You pitch well, two runs, one of which was earned. And Montgomery has really been unlucky. The team had been 2-11 in his previous 13 starts, despite the fact that he's pitched some solid baseball. Giovanni Gallegos, one and a third inning scoreless, but Paul DeYoung goes deep off of Rumber Valdez, 12th home run season for Valdez. Not the start he was looking for. Gives up four runs over the course of six innings. Ryan Stanek, Phil Maton have been able to piecemeal together two scoreless innings from there. Guy that you might be wanting to have on your radar to not back is right now Javis Satayan. For the ninth time in his last 10 starts, he allows at least three runs. Five to one. The Phillies are in the lead going into the ninth inning. Unless if we see a collapse, they should be able to get this one in. Tyon. Five runs allowed in five innings, including a pair of bombs of Brandon Marsh. His sixth and seventh home runs of the season. And Ranger Suarez. Another really good start. Seven and a third innings. He allows one run. He has now allowed four total runs across his last five starts. And he has allowed six runs in his last six. So he has really been able to pick it up. Bullpen is going to be looking to close that one out for the Phillies. But right now they are in good shape. What else is in good shape is by DK Nation right at pick. I can't confirm that it's a win quite yet. But we had the under in the Cleveland Guardians versus the Kansas City Royals game. It is currently 0-0 at the bottom of the eighth inning. This has been a Guardian team that has been very rock solid to the under all season long. And Gavin Williams... Seven scoreless innings, giving up one hit along the way. Bullpen is going to look to try to get this one in from. And Brady Singer and the Guardians singing the blues. Six scoreless innings from there. Cesar Hernandez, Heraldus Chapman, have both lent a scoreless inning. Once again, don't want to count the chickens before they hatch, but that is looking pretty rock solid right now for a Kansas City Royals team that has been just all over the place thus far this season. A team that has been quite a bit all over the place this season is the LA Dodgers. And currently, as I record this era, 5 to nothing in the top of the sixth inning, Clayton Kershaw has a no-hitter going through five innings as we record, and J.D. Martinez has went deep twice for his 17th and 18th home runs of the season. Connor Siebel gives up one of those home runs, four runs surrendered at five innings, and Brad Hand has allowed the other, and for the Colorado Rockies, good news is C.J. Crone is back in the fold. 
Bad news is they are still the Colorado Rockies. And then the other games in terms of what we've all got in baseball on Tuesday. Still hanging in the balance. The Yankees and A's just got started. That's a game that is currently in the bottom of the second inning. No score for the Arizona Diamondbacks. They have really opened this thing up with Taj Bradley on the mound. Bradley has given up five runs, four of which earned in one inning thus far. And for the Arizona Diamondbacks, they've got Zach Gallen on the mound. Corbin Carroll's already went deep 17th home run season. Christian Walker, his 16th. And for the race, want to be gauging the team a little bit differently home to road as well. Entered into the night 34 and 10 at home, 20 and 17 on the road. Looking like that's probably going to be 20 and 18 on the road. Then in the Texas Rangers versus Detroit Tigers game, and I need to see how this one shakes out as it is currently 3 to 4. The Texas Rangers were just able to get an Ezekiel Dern home run to be able to take the lead in the bottom of the eighth inning as for Matt Manning making his first start since. I believe it was very late April. Not a bad showing. Two runs surrendered in five and two-thirds innings against the league leaders in runs per game. Not bad there, but then Jason Shreve allows a run without getting a single out of the bullpen. Brendan White, he just gave up that home run to Duran as Duran goes deep for home run number 10 of the campaign and for Martin Perez. Home and road splits have been very demonstrative with him. Gives up two runs over the course of six innings. Entered in the night with a 5.98 ERA at home and a buck 71 on the road. From there, Josh DeBoris has given up one run over the course of two innings as he was taken deep. Spencer Torkelson, he gets his ninth home run of the campaign. So we'll see if the Rangers are able to close it out. If you're looking at the trends of baseball that we have been seeing overall for the season, we're at a 50.7% hit rate to the under. 570 unders to 555 overs with favorites. Hitting at a rate of about 58.5%, 682 and 482 straight up. This is with a few results pending for Tuesday with all but 177 of those favorites being unable to cover the run line, which honestly, if you look year to year, that's not the world's worst rate because over the last 30 days, favorites have been much better on the run line. 223 and 148 straight up are favorites in the time span. Meanwhile, all but 51 of those favorites have been able to cover the run line. That's actually a really good rate. Meanwhile, in the last 30 days, 189 unders to 170 overs. That's a 52.6% hit rate to the under. And if you're just taking a look at the last seven days, so pretty small sample size here. Favorites 50 and 35 in the span, hitting at a 58.8% hit rate. And among those favorites, all but nine have been able to cover the run line with the under going 42 and 40. So that's what we're seeing in Major League Baseball right now. And that's what we all got in Major League Baseball on Tuesday. Going to have a little bit of clean up on those West Coast games on the podcast. But a man that always cleans up and delivers great insights when he's on this podcast. That'd be Charlie DeCirco. He joins me next. We're going to be taking a look at some of the things that have slash have not been trading him so well when it comes to betting baseball. And then we're going to dive into the games for Wednesday on the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now a part of the Visa. Family Podcast. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes 
that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. 
Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James! LeBron James! And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to become a winning sports better? Schedule a call with SBIA to find out how their service can make you a long-term winning player. They've developed an innovative algorithm that maximizes units return, and they are so confident in their system that they offer a money-back guarantee. Sign up by October 31st and get their NBA package at no cost until they reach 10 net units. They treat sports betting like a business. So if you want to learn how to make your sports betting dreams a reality, visit them at SBIA1.com and check them out on social media at SBIA Sports. Breaking down every game, every day in Major League Baseball. This is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson. And we're back here in Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now part of the Visa Family Podcast. It is always great to be joined by this man, as Charlie DeCirco. He does absolutely amazing work over at Action Network. He does a great job with the two main sports that I know and love, college basketball and baseball. This time of year, he's doing an absolutely amazing job. Take a look at everything out there on the diamond, and you're able to follow him on Twitter at his first and last name, Charlie DeCirco. That last name is spelled D-I-S-T-U-R-C-O altogether. And, Charlie, it's great to have you aboard. Thank you. Of course, Greg. Always a pleasure to hop on, you know, talking college hoops, and now that we're in the thick of things in baseball. Absolutely. And, Charlie, we're going to dive into the games for Wednesday in just a second, but before we do... Has there been any specific pitchers slash any specific teams that have either been treating you really well slash not well over the last few weeks? Because as we know, things can be a little bit hot and cold when it comes to baseball. Some teams, some pitchers, they get on really good, really bad runs. Has there been anything that's been working out well slash just something that you're staying away from these past few weeks? Yeah, you know, it's been interesting. The Cincinnati Reds, as I think everyone's darling, it quickly became the public favorite. But I had added them to make the playoffs at 14-1 to and a little bit on the World Series, which is a long shot in of itself. But I kept betting them over their 12-game win streak. Obviously, they're in a different position now because of Hunter Green going down with injury. And the rain delay yesterday has kind of ruined their bullpen and starting pitching as far as like their rotation goes and who they want to use and how deep they want to go. So I'd be a little bit more cautious now backing them on a game-to-game basis. But they really have a great offense and, and a team that was consistently undervalued at plus money for the last couple of weeks, and we saw that through their win streak. Really going for it all. I loved backing them all together. And then a team that has kind of, actually, I guess I could say a player that has kind of had my number. There's a few. Rich Hill, who's pitching Tuesday night. He seems to always pitch above expectation, overperform, and Bryce Elder as well. Those two guys, which I'm actually fading both of them at some capacity Tuesday night, two pitchers that vastly overperform. Bryce Elder, his expected ERA over a run higher than actual. Rich Hill, the same spot. He's just getting slugged, but not coming to fruition altogether. So a team that I've been loving to back, uh, a team that I've been loving to back is the Reds, and two pitchers that have kind of made my life a little bit trouble sometimes, Bryce Elder, Rich Hill. Yeah, it's been really interesting to take a look at Bryce Elder because going into the day on Tuesday, he was leading the National League in terms of ERA, and 
it's just one of those things in which it's like, this makes absolutely no sense at all. Like, Bryce Elder has been able to do a solid job finding the zone, has been able to do a solid job of holding down the fort, but certainly not a guy that you think would be a top of the National League in terms of ERA. We shall see what happens with that Tuesday start as we're recording this before we know exactly what he did there. But speaking of the Atlanta Braves, they have been an interesting team all season long. They're going to be taking on the Minnesota Twins, and we don't know who they're going to be having, but looks like it might be Mike Soroka on that front. So it'll be interesting to see where that AM number goes. But this is a guy that I have been looking to fade quite a bit. Currently, we don't have a number up on this game, but I want to get just sort of your initial thoughts here. Chris Bassett goes for the Toronto Blue Jays. Logan Webb goes for the San Francisco Giants. Chris Bassett has been one of those guys that, for me, has been just a prime regression candidate. And boy, oh boy, have we seen it recently. I'm not sure what your thoughts are on him, but if we're able to get any sort of a respectable price whatsoever on the San Francisco Giants, despite the fact that Logan Webb throughout his career hasn't been quite the same on the road as he has been at home, this will be a spot where I'd be willing to back the San Francisco Giants. Yeah, I've been fading Chris Bassett a lot as of late. Uh, the last two games I took the Athletics on the money line. Obviously, that came to fruition. And then the over in Texas, Toronto. It's really interesting to look at Chris Bassett. Struggled at home this past time around. But if you look at his home road splits, he has a 2.72 ERA at home and a near 6 ERA on the road. It just seems like teams have a number on him. I'm not sure at what capacity. And if you saw after the game, I believe he's done with the thing that tracker on there and the head, he's trying to work around it because he was calling his own pitches and and clearly it wasn't working. He has such a deep arsenal, but he really just doesn't have the same stuff that he had last season. His whiff rate below 20% of all pitchers, his strikeout rate low, expect he's getting clubbed, expected slugging and barrel rate are all down and below average. And that was something that he was able to mitigate when he was with, the Mets don't hate the angle here. Uh, I got to see what the number opens up and if they end up going with Bassett or with a reliever out of the gate and then into him. However, they decide to attack it. But plus money for Logan Webb seems a, a bit cheap. He's got excellent command. Just runs into a couple of issues sometimes with being hit hard. Is hard hit right 45%. I do think that it's almost like a zigzag opportunity here. The Giants, if you want to back them, you want to back them when they face a righty because they have a lefty heavy lineup and Gabe Kapler can throw just about a deep lineup against any right-handed pitcher. And to your point about him not utilizing, I believe it's called pitchcom, what they used to call yes. those pitches. I remember watching him in his debut on the road this season against the LA Angels, and I was at that game, and he did not look comfortable at all using that. Got multiple pitch clock violations there. That was a game that... Fortunately for me, he stayed under the total, so I was very happy about that. But I remember watching him in person, and to your point, he did not look comfortable at all. As joining me on the show, we do have Charlie DeCirco. We're always comfortable having him aboard because he does amazing work over at Action Network. And Charlie, I know that you have been a stand for this man for a little bit. Dane Dunning, I know you've called him Stunning Dunning before, and now he's going to be a rather sizable favorite at home against the Detroit Tigers. Joey Wentz is going to be on the mound with a total of nine and a half. I know that you've typically liked taking Dane Dunning a little bit more when he's an underdog. This is a little bit of a role reversal for him. Now he's finding himself as north of a $2 favorite. What are your thoughts on Dane Dunning, both in this start and overall? Because just in looking at Dunning throughout his time with Texas, he's always been so much better at home than he has been on the road. I find to be a little bit striking as well. Not getting a lot of swings and misses this year, but doing a good job of missing barrels as well. Yeah, you know, it's it's really interesting because obviously you noted it last year. I loved to grab Dane Dunning, especially when the Rangers were, you'd get them at plus money all the time for an underrated pitcher. I'm not so sure what has led to 
this situation overall, if you look at his numbers, I mean, he's throwing his sinker less. Or I guess he's using his cutter almost double the amount of time and his turnaround. So he's changed his pitch mix a bit. He's a four-pitch pitcher for the most part. It's really interesting to look because he, he doesn't get strikeouts like you mentioned. Something changed with that. And it's not like his velocity is down. His velocity is actually up. I'm not sure I'm willing to back him as this heavy a favorite. I don't know if I'm willing to back Joey Wentz either. I was actually looking at this game on Monday and this potential pitching matchup and was thinking of taking the over here because obviously you mentioned Dane Dunning doesn't get strikeouts. And then if you look at just about everywhere else, he kind of struggles. Bottom 11% in expected batting average, expected ERA. 509 is actually ERA 276. So I think there's negative regression in store for him. I'm not so sure Tigers can do it or not. They are playing better as of late. They're about a league average offense in the last two weeks. I'll be curious to see. But yeah, across the board, his numbers have really risen. You look at last year, a 250 expected batting average, a 400 expected slugging. Well, those numbers are now up 285, 452, despite that decline in barrel rate. He's going to hit harder and not getting strikeouts. Yeah, it has been interesting to take a look at there. And boy, Joey Wentz is a guy that is tough to back as well. It's been a less than savory year for him. The Detroit Tigers done a little bit more on offense over the last two weeks, but they've just been a bunch of not been able to put back to ball all season long. These two teams are able to, and just on first glance, taking a look at the board in terms of totals, this is the one that stuck out to me. Diamondbacks and the Rays. Battle of Zacks. Zach Eflin going for the Rays. Zach Davies going for the Diamondbacks, and I'm seeing a total of nine. I'm not sure what your thoughts here, but this just seems way too low because something I've always noted with Zach Eflin is he's a guy that you want to back at home on the road. He's just not quite the same guy for his career. His ERA rises by nearly two points when he's on the road. And Zach Davies has been about as big of a disaster as it gets in the month of June for any pitcher in the big leagues. Not sure if you're with me on this one, but nine just seems way too low for this game. Yeah, I was either looking at looking to back the raise on the money line or the team total over. Uh, I think that I'm actually a little bit more higher on Zach Eflin than you are, it sounds like. I think that Tampa, they're just known for really taking pitchers in and turning them around. And if you look at his numbers across the board, a 307 expected ERA, a five, a less than 5% walk rate. He doesn't generate as many whiffs and has a little bit of a high barrel rate, but just about everywhere else, low ag- average exit velocity, low expected batting average. His strikeout rate is above average he's really using his cutter a lot more he's nearly double the usage to pair with that curveball cutter sinker main trio changes arsenal around just a little bit but like you mentioned and then this is why i kind of lean tampa and possibly the tampa team total over zach davies is not good four seven expected era strikeout rate below 20 percent of all pitchers the only thing he does well is limit barrels, but that doesn't matter when you can't avoid them and avoid the bat and you give up an expected batting average of 277. He has trouble with his command. The Rays crush right-handed pitching. The Rays are extremely patient at the plate. They don't chase, and Zach Davies doesn't generate chases. So I do like the look here from the Rays' point of view as far as over. And then if you like to fade Zach Gaffin, as you mentioned, his splits, I'm just a little bit higher on him. So I would be looking to play possibly the Rays team total or the Rays money line here with Zach Davies and his strikeout minus walk rate of 7%. Yeah, and even with noting the Zach Eflin home and road splits, I still made the Rays on my personal handicap a minus 155 favorite here. So I'm with you there. I think Eflin gives up some runs, but Zach Davies has been a complete disaster with a 990 home ERA while giving up less than a home run per nine innings at home. That tells you just how much contact he is giving up. That's 
Not great to say the least. As joined me on the show, we do have Charlie DeCirco, who does great work over at Action Network. And this one also stands out to me as well, because I feel like books have just not caught up to how bad the St. Louis Cardinals are this year. And for Miles Michaelis, I give him credit. After his first three starts of the year, they were a relative disaster. He has pitched much better as of late, but seeing him in a pick game against Christian Javier just doesn't seem right to me. I'm seeing a total of nine right now. I'm not sure if you're with me on this one or if you've got a little bit of a counter to this, but it just feels like this is a spot where the Houston Astros should be a little bit more of a demonstrative favorite as I like what Christian Javier has been able to do this year. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting to see what is going on with Christian Javier. His velocity is down a little bit, and if you look at his spin rate, it's also down, which has led to him being a little bit more prone to being hit hard. His control, he was really good at honing in on his control in the month of June, and then he went out against the Mets and walked five and gave up four runs. It's really interesting. I, I, I do agree with you. I do think that the Astros at this short price are likely a play just because of the Miles Michael estate. I am a bit concerned about Javier overall because this is a guy that I thought would take that next step and become a Cy Young contender. He had a 168 expected batting average and a 243 expected ERA last season. Those numbers 238 and 418 now this year. But as you mentioned, Miles Michaelis, bottom 3% in whiff rate, bottom 4% in expected batting average, nearly 300 against him i'm with you his strikeout rate has dipped yet again if you're not getting strikeouts and you're relying on contact and you're in the bottom quarter of all of baseball in average exit velocity that's not a good pairing so I, I do think at this short price the astros are likely worth a look it looks like the money has slightly come in on st louis so you should be able to get a plus number yeah it's been so interesting to watch the way that the cardinals have been backed all season i feel like there's a lot of people are banking on them being able to turn around and could they who knows, because the NL Central is just a terrible division this year. But, man, it has been a little bit rough for them. And, Charlie, we are doing this while there's four, five games that are currently off the board. I alluded to it a little bit earlier. We just don't know what's happening with that Atlanta versus Minnesota game, or else I would dive into that a little bit more. But we just don't know what Atlanta's going to do with A.J. Smith-Schwaver being sent to the minor leagues prior to this podcast. But is there anything else that you are going to be taking a look at for Wednesday, whether that be a play that you already made or – Maybe it's something that's just on your radar in general with perhaps one of these games that are off the board that you're just looking to gauge in general. Yeah, I actually already took the under in San Diego, Pittsburgh. That number has jumped down to eight and a half already. I got nine on open. I still like it at eight and a half. You get Mitch Keller, Blake Snell on the mound. I think Blake Snell is for real. We look at how good he's been in June extends back to the last week in May. Ever since that second to last start in May, Snell has thrown 36 innings of two-run ball. His strikeouts are consistently in that 8 to 12 range. And you look at just about every metric right now, yeah, his ERA is above four, but I think that extends from how it was in the early season. He's been incredible, and he's not walking as many batters. He is really honing in on everything. His swing and miss stuff is absolutely phenomenal. He's really honed in on everything. And then Mitch Keller, everybody's favorite at Action Network, top 15% in average exit velocity, hard hit rate, great strikeout numbers, great walk rate. So he doesn't really find himself into trouble. And the Padres bats have been kind of mind-numbingly interesting and bad. I don't really know how to word it, but they've been confusing. I think that this is a good spot to take the under, and I think that the Padres likely end up winning this game, but I think that Mitch Keller, Blake Snell, we saw what Mitch Keller did last time before the bullpen came in and blew it, but I think both of them are going to be great. The Padres will use their top arms most likely. I would also look at the bullpen arms and what's used in tonight's game that we're talking about. Obviously, it just started before 
that, but yeah, I like the under here. Yep, I'm right there with you with Blake Zell. I don't think he's going to be able to keep up the sub one ERA. That might be asking a little bit too much, but he certainly has been able to turn around. And if we do see regression with Blake Zell, I don't think it's coming against the Pittsburgh Pirates, who's been the most deplorable offense in the National League since the beginning of the month of May. I've been absolutely loving taking unders with them, especially when you get something like Mitch Keller on the bump. So I'm in agreement with you there. And Charlie, I know that you do just an amazing job taking a look at the game that we all know and love of baseball. You're over there at Action Network doing tremendous work. Let the good people at home know it's all on tap for you and how people are able to follow along on social media and other platforms. Yeah, so every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I release my triple sevens. Tuesday, my slate breakdown. You can find me on the Payoff Pitch podcast for Action Network on Fridays. So a pretty jam-packed week I usually have. You can find me on every single social media, at Charlie Disturco, last name D-I-S-T-U-R-C-O. So that's where you can find me. Always a pleasure. Absolutely. Charlie does an amazing job taking a look at the great game of baseball. And on top of that, when it comes to college basketball season, I know that he's an ace out there on the hardwood as well. A big thanks to Charlie for joining me on the Baseball Betting Show, now part of the Visa Family Podcast. And coming up next, it is that time of the podcast. I give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this MLB Wednesday as we touch them all. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape. You can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up as well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James! LeBron James! And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? 
Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, 
the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. And recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry. Back to Iguodala. Up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Breaking down every game, every day in Major League Baseball, this is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson. And we're back here in Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now part of the Visa Family Podcast. Always great to be joined by Charlie DeCirco. He does terrific work over at Action Network, taking a look at this game of baseball that we all know and love every single time he joins this podcast. Lends great insights, always does a great job with his picks, but on top of that, the reasoning behind it, what he's all taking a look at, always top-notch. Big thanks to Charlie for joining me in the last segment, now it is that time of the podcast. I give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this MLB Wednesday as we touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at gnet underscore 81. We are going to be going in the Las Vegas rotation order. This is where we go with the National League games first. Then the American League games, any interleague games, those are going to be at the bottom. That'll keep things all nice, neat, clean, and easy. So without further ado, let's dive in on this first game of 951-952 on the betting board. The Slam Diego Padres walk the plank as they're on the road they're facing off against the Pittsburgh Pirates as Blake Snell gets the bump for the Pods and Mitch Keller is on the bump for the Pirates and the Pirates. In between plus 135 to plus 145 underdogs, between minus 154 and minus 165 is your number on the pods. 8 to 8.5 eight is the total. On the 8, overs between minus 110 to a minus 115. Unders between minus 105 to a minus 110. On the 8.5, unders minus 120 and the overs even. Regardless of if you've got an 8 to an 8.5, and, and I'm mostly seeing 8s out there, by the way. I like this total under. I saw my total at 7.2. This Pittsburgh Pirates offense going into yesterday. Four runs or fewer in 38 out of their last 47 games. Worst offense in the National League since the beginning of the month of May. These guys just can't hit right now. You've got Brian Reynolds currently on the injured list. That has not been helping out this team. Jack Swinisky has been in an almighty funk going into yesterday. He hadn't had a hit in over a week. Uh, you've had Jaywan Bay really slide down the toilet pole as well. 
There's just not a lot of things that are going well for the Pittsburgh Pirates. You take a look at them just during the month of June, and June is very nearly up. Going into yesterday, 16 home runs in their 22 games, sitting at 214 as a collective. Cabrian Hayes has been able to hit above a 300 this month. He's about the only guy in the lineup that is currently hitting a of a 230 for the month. I mean, it's been really bad. They do call up their former number one overall pick, and Henry Davis. He's been able to give the team a little bit of life, but over the last three days as well, it's Pittsburgh Pirates team that is dead last in the big leagues in terms of bullpen ERA as well. Ronsi Contreras going into the bullpen has not been good. Dory Moretta, north of a 60 ERA over the last three days. David Benard has still been solid. Yuri De Los Santos has given you some innings, but yeah, it's not great. Meanwhile, for the San Diego Padres, Blake Snell has really been able to find it. Now, I still have my question marks with Blake Snell. You just never know with him because he does give up right around four walks per nine innings. But, man, his swing and miss stuff has been good. Getting about 11.5 strikeouts per nine innings. He has had at least eight strikeouts in each out of his last four starts. He has had at least seven strikeouts. And now each out of his last five. This guy has been absolutely tremendous with that regard and has allowed one run in his last five starts, two runs in his last six. So, he has really been rocking and rolling now. Throughout his career, it's always been a little bit up and down on the road, but a 268 road area as far as this season, and he's backed up by the number one bullpen in the National League. Now, they are a little bit banged up. Tom Cosgrove currently had the fold along Domingo Tapia, but Josh Hader, we all know what he's able to do. Drew Carlton has been a little bit up and down to Tamil, a sub-3-3 ERA, but able to get some good innings as well out of someone like Nick Martinez. So, I do think that they're going to be able to hold down the fort. They get to go up against that. Pittsburgh Pirates bullpen with their offense and has been so bad as you've got Fernando Tatis Jr. hitting well above a 300. He, along with Juan Soto, entered into yesterday with a combined 29 home runs. Sandra Bogart seems to be finding it a little bit as well. Got off to a really nice start to the season. Then things slipped from there. Now he's hitting about a 250 with a few RBI in his last few contests. Just one home run over the last three days. That is a big concern that you've got, but a bigger concern. Just what the bottom of the fold has done for this team. Jake Cronenworth, the entire catcher spot, Rudnett Odor, Trent Grisho, Matt Carpenter, all hitting a 210 or lower. That has really been killing this team. Manny Machado, though, since coming off the injury list, hitting right around 300. And I do think that they're going to be able to do an okay job against a guy, Mitch Keller, that has had a bit of a renaissance this year, but he has been very shaky as of late. For our good friend in Keller, he has given up four plus runs and four out of his last six starts. So for the season, 345 ERA has been better at home than he has been on the road, 278 home ERA. 402 ERA on the road, giving up at home about one home run per nine innings, and walks are way down. He is giving up just 1.2 walks per nine innings, swing and miss stuff, right around 10 strikeouts per nine innings. So I think Mitch Keller is going to do his part. I think that the bullpen and the offense for the Pittsburgh Pirates is not going to. I did set the Padres at a minus 157 on the money line. If you're taking a look at the run line, currently finding the Padres' run line at a plus 105, I would need more like a plus 110. As of right now, I'd be looking to take a chalkier money line on the Padres. This is a little bit of wait-and-see mode, but that's where I'd be looking. Or if I'm able to, like, get a run and a half at more like a minus 108 or something with the Pirates, if we see that sort of a steam move, that's something I would entertain right now. But as of current numbers, and I'll be gauging this overnight, we'll be looking at a chalkier Padres money line to go along with this under. 953-954 on the betting board. The Milwaukee Brewers hit the road face-off against the New York Mets. Wade Miley hopes to have a party in New York for the Brewers, and Kodai Senga is on the bump for the Mets. And the Mets, between minus 138 to minus 145 favorites, between plus 120 and plus 130, your number on the Brewer, 8.5 is the total. Over is between minus 110 to a minus 120. Under is between even a minus 110. For Kodai Senga, he has been so much better at home than he has been on the road, and 
As a result, I did set the Mets more around to minus 166 on the money line. Do not want to lay the run line because you've got a rather dicey bullpen, but I do like what I've seen out of Senga in terms of being able to get strikeouts as he has come over from Japan and he's done a great job with just his arsenal pitches, 11 strikeouts per nine innings. Now, the concern that you do have is that he does currently lead all qualifying National League pitchers in terms of walks as he has been giving up right around 5.2 walks per nine innings, but I do my point about the home and road splits. At home thus far this season, he has been able to post up a 2.52 ERA on the road. This has ballooned to a 4.58. A lot of it does have to do with the fact that on the road, he's given up quite a bit of hard contact, less than home run per nine innings, giving up at home more like 1.2 to 1.3 home runs per nine innings on the road, and the command drops as well, right around two and a half strikeouts to walks when he's at home, a 1.83 strikeout to walk ratio when he is on the road. So. This has been very costly to him, and the reason why I don't want to be taking a look at the Mets' run line is because of that bullpen. David Robertson has been terrific, and Brooks Bailey is able to give you a sub-3 ERA as well, but that's that. Not a lot of reliability out of the likes of Jeff Brigham and company, and then when it comes to the Milwaukee Brewers, getting the ball to Devin Williams is an adventurous. Joel Piamps, Elvis Piguero, they've been able to give you a sub-3 ERA, but that's that. It's been an adventure, to say the least to be able to get the ball to him. And then when it comes to Wade Miley, just such a fascinating pitcher in general in that he is an ultimate pitch-to-contact guy. He is getting right around about six and a half strikeouts per nine innings, has done a solid job only giving up about two walks per nine innings, and thus far, the soft contact has been terrific, giving up one home run per nine innings. As a result, he's got a 291 ERA and a 245 ERA on the road. I think that that fortune is going to start to run out a little bit as he goes up against a Mets lineup that has really been able to heat up with their offense. They weren't able to really deliver anything in the opener in this series on Monday, but in all in all, they've been able to get to four plus runs of 14 out of their last 18 games at Drinking D yesterday. You got Pete Alonso back in the fold, giving you 24 home runs. Francisco Lindor hasn't necessarily gotten on base a ton, but he's been able to give you 15 bombs. We have seen Francisco Alvarez start to go down the toilet bowl a little bit. That has been a little bit less than terrific. But being able to have someone like Brandon Nimmo, being able to give you a 370 on base to lead off. Jeff McNeil, Starling Marte, Tommy Pham, anything between about a 255-260. These guys have been able to do a solid job. Now the Milwaukee Brewers, you've got to be very concerned about this offense because feels like they're either going to give you eight or zero runs. There is no in-between when it comes to the Milwaukee Brewers. It says, right now, you've got five separate guys that are giving you at least nine home runs. Brian Anderson, Joey Weimer, Rowdy Tellez, William Adamas, Christian Yelich. Yelich is the only of these guys that entered into yesterday hitting above 219. And the only guy other than Yelich with above a 293 on base was Brian Anderson with a 320. Do have Owen Miller being able to move line, but Brewers a bottom four team in terms of batting average. I think that Wade Miley is going to start to get hit a little bit harder. I did something I told him at 8.2 because I think the Brewers are going to be swinging and missing a lot against Kodai Senga. So looking at the under, and I'm looking at the Metropolitans on the money line. 955-956 on the banking board. The Philadelphia Phillies at the road face off against the Chicago Cubs. Drew Smiley hopes to be smiling about this one for the Cubs, and it is Aaron Nola hoping to be super for the Philadelphia Phillies. There's no total up on the board because this is a good old Wrigley Field game that is going to be dependent upon the wind, but we do know that the Phillies are between a minus 115 to a minus 120 favor, and between minus 105 to a plus 108 is your number on the Cubs, and right now I'm seeing a bit of directional wind slash wind blowing out 
in the neighborhood of about six to eight miles per hour. It's gonna play a little bit of an impact on this game, but it's gonna be nothing overly stark, but I did set my total at a 9.7. A nine and a half or less, I'll be looking at an over a 10 or higher to the under, because when it comes to Drew Smiley, I do think that he's gonna be giving up quite a bit of contact, and for Aaron Nola, throughout his career, we have seen his ERA jump by nearly a point when he's been on the road rather than when he's been at home. And we're just going to call it what it is. For Aaron Nola, he has not been having a good year this year. For Nola, posting up a 430 ADRA. Swing and miss stuff seems to be getting back a little bit more. 8.8 strikeouts for 9 and he's, he's been a little bit better than the 430 ADRA. Fielding independent of a 406, but... Giving up 1.3 home runs per nine innings. That's tied for the most in his career. Just been an almighty struggle bus for him with three plus runs allowed in now four out of his last five starts. Meanwhile, for Drew Smiley, I do think that regression is going to be very real for him. Now, to the credit of Drew Smiley, he has gone out there time and time again this year and has been terrific, though. He's actually had worse results at home than he has on the road. 417 home ERA, 274 ERA on the road. At home, he has been given up right around about 1.3 home runs per nine innings and overall this season. About 1.2 bombs per nine. He's given up about three walks per nine innings. Doesn't get a lot of swings and misses. And I do think that the Philadelphia Phillies are going to be able to generate a little bit more offense. This is a bunch that they entered in yesterday in the top five of the big leagues in terms of road batting average. Now, what they need is someone other than Kyle Schwarber to be able to supply the boom as nobody other than Schwarber has a double-digit amount of homers on this team. But you do have those guys that are getting on base. You've got Bryson Stop, Bryce Harper, both hitting above a 285 with Harper. Just three home runs and north of 165 at-bats, but nearly a 380 on base. Nick Cassianos hitting above a 300, that's terrific. Brandon Marsh hitting above 275. You've been able to have these guys do a solid job, even with Trey Turner sort of floundering this season. And for the Cubs, since the beginning of the month of May, the offense has not necessarily been there, and they are dealing with an injury to their top home run hitter in Patrick Wisdom, but you still have plenty of guys that are able to get on base. You take a look at the starting lineup that they had yesterday. You did not have a single guy in the starting lineup hitting below a 245 and just one guy hitting below a 254. So that's very good for the team. Cody Bellinger has not been terrific since coming off the injured list, but we got the likes of Nico Horner, Christopher Morell, Jan Gomes hitting above 270. All these guys have functional power, not great power really, Sands. Nico Horner, Horner, not a guy. That's really going to be cranking it deep for you, but Christopher Morell entered into yesterday with a home run every 10 or so at bats. And both of these bullpens, very comparable. Both of these teams right around 20th in the league in terms of bullpen area. I believe that they entered respectively 21st and 22nd for the Cubs. Feels like they've been improving a little bit. To the credit of Julian Merriweather, after a terrible start to the season, he's been able to pick it up. Michael Fulmer still not having the world's greatest season in general. His ERA is back below five, though, so... He's starting to get there. Michael Rucker, not terrific to say the least, but like what I've seen out of someone like an Edbert Alzelay. Meanwhile, for the Philadelphia Phillies, you've got a pair of guys in Jose Alvarado along with Andrew Vasquez that'll be able to give you a sub-two ERA. Gregory Soto's been a mess. To the credit of Craig Kimbrell, over the last month or so, it's been much better. I still can't trust in Craig Kimbrell. I'm sorry, I just can't do it. And I do think that this is a tricky spot to say the least, but it is a spot where I was willing to set the Cubs as a very slight favorite. I think that Smiley is going to be able to match up with Aaron Nolan. I do think that the Cubs, just with the way that their bullpen has been able to ascend a little bit more, they're going to do just enough to be able to get the job done. Want to lay up to a minus 107 with the Cubs looking at them on the money line. Nine and a half or less looking at the over 10 or higher to the under with regards to that total. 957, 958 on the betting board. We got a lot of games are off the board, and this is the first one. The LA Dodgers set the road face off against the Colorado Rockies. Kyle Friedland goes for the Rocks, and to be determined, it's on the bump for the Dodgers, so this game is off the board. Right now, Fangraphs is projecting that Michael Grove is going to get the start, and 
If it is Grove against Freeland, I set the Dodgers at a minus 163 on the money line. We'll be willing to lay up to a minus 112 on that run line. And maybe I told it 12.8, 12.5 or less looking at the over 13 RI to the under. Now the Dodgers, a bullpen game would essentially be the equivalent of Michael Grove. And as a matter of fact, a bullpen game might be an upgrade because Michael Grove has been absolutely terrible for this team this season. He is posting up a nice hearty 759 ERA giving up in terms of home runs per nine rate, about a 2.25, and now he gets to go to Coors Field. Fun, fun, fun. Meanwhile, you've got somebody, Kyle Freeland, that throughout his career has always pitched better on the road than he has at home, but we've seen a little bit of reversal this year. 342 home ERA, 592 ERA on the road, and has done a nice job of being able to keep the ball in the yard, about 1.15 home runs per nine innings at Coors Field. That is not a bad rate. He does give up a lot of contact, though, with... Kyle Freeland, he is registering fewer than six strikeouts per nine innings. And when you're going up against an L.A. Dodgers team that loves to be able to mash the ball, that is a little bit of an issue. As for the Dodgers, they really don't do a good job with their batting average. As a matter of fact, on the road, they're a bottom 10 team in the big leagues in terms of raw batting average. But with our good friend in Freeland having a fielding independent that is right around a five, I do have concerns here because also with the L.A. Dodgers, they are second in the National League in terms of home runs. The Atlanta Braves and just all the historic stuff that they've been able to do this season. They're number one with that regard, but you've got a Dodgers team that's averaging 5.3 runs per contest as far as the season on the road. You've got Mookie Betts, who's been able to supply 18-plus home runs. J.D. Martinez, he's gone deep 16-plus times as well. Freddie Freeman has been absolutely incredible with the way that he's been able to hit north of a 315 thus far this season. Will Smith has nearly a 400 on base as well for the Dodgers as well. Even though these guys aren't hitting for average, they're the number one team in terms of walks on a per-at-bat basis as well. So like James Altman, who's really had some struggles recently, being just a 236 for the season, 320 on base. Miguel Vargas, 201 batting average, 301 on base. Like I said with Will Smith, he's got north of a 400 on base. He's got just a 291 average, which is solid, but typically you're not going to find north of a 400 on base with having a sub-300 average. So I do think that that is a very striking parallel there. And for the Colorado Rockies, they are clearly missing C.J. Crone along with Chris Bryant, but Crone finally able to return to the fold for the team, so that should be able to give them a little bit of a boost for the first time that he's back in about a month and a half or so. You've got Drixon Profar who's been able to move the line, especially at home, and Ryan McMahon is the only guy on the roster going into the series with a double-figure amount of homers. 12 home runs as far as the season. You've had Elias Diaz, Randall Grichik, VL Reach Base, and you've got a Colorado Rockies team that is number one in the big leagues. In terms of home batting average, so they do a very solid job at home on the road. They've always got those very, very big splits. And for the Dodgers, this has been a bottom six team in the big leagues in terms of bullpen ERA. You got the likes of Phil Bickford, Ryan Brazier, Yancey Almonte, all rocking north of a five ERA. I like what Bersardo Gradwell has been able to do, and Victor Gonzalez, uh, Caleb Ferguson, they've been able to give you some okay innings, but roll the dice there for the Rockies, even though they are 25th in the league in terms of bullpen ERA. When you've got a bullpen that pitches day in and day out at Coors Field, it's a little bit more forgivable. Currently dealing with an injury to Brent Suter. That hurts as he was providing a sub-250 ERA, but you still have Daniel Bard, you still have Justin Lawrence, a pair of guys that they've been able to do a solid job along with Brandon in providing a sub-345 ERA. Pierce Johnson has been absolutely terrible. You want to be avoiding him at all costs, but I do think that you're going to see plenty of runs in this one. I think that Freeland is going to be paying for all the contact that he gives up, so... 
12 and a half or less, looking at the over 13 or higher to the under. If it is Michael Grove, want to lay up to a minus 112 on that Dodgers run line. I'm willing to take at least a plus 164 on the Rockies in terms of that money line. If it's more of a bullpen game for the Dodgers, check back in the morning at GNNR and Squarey one on Twitter. But do not think I'd be varying too much from the lines they just provided there. 959-960 on the betting board. It is the Detroit Tigers hit the road. They're facing off against the Walker Texas Rangers as Joey Wentz goes for the Tigers and Dane Dunning looks at Gitter Dunning for Texas at Texas is back to being a favorite of anywhere between minus 205 to a minus 225. Between plus 175 and plus 190 is your number on Detroit. 9 to 9.5 is the total on the 9. Over is minus 120. The under is even on the 9.5. Under is minus 120 to a minus 110. And the over that is between minus 110 to a minus 120. With the Tigers, I needed at least a plus 243 to take a shot here. Recognize that typically you want to be taking Dane Dunning on shorter lines, but I was willing to lay up to a minus 130 with this Texas Rangers run line. Currently, I'm finding it at minus 110. That's what I'm going to be willing to ride with. We were talking about it with Charlie DeSterko. Certainly with Dane Dunning, he has been not getting a lot of swings and misses as far this season. He's only been able to get right around five strikeouts per nine innings. Career average coming into this year was hovering more around about eight and a half strikeouts per nine innings, but has done a good job of being able to reduce the walks. Career average more around three and a half walks per nine innings. That's down to 2.6 this season. Done a good job of being able to avoid barrels now. 276 ERA does not line up with a 393 fielding independent, but Joey Wentz has just been absolutely terrible for the Detroit Tigers. 672 ERA, giving up just under two home runs per nine innings, giving up north of three and a half walks per nine innings, gets about eight strikeouts per nine innings, but it has been the struggle bus all season for him, and the ERA balloons is 748 on the road, giving up seven home runs to 27 and two-thirds innings on the road, and now he has to face off against the Texas Rangers lineup that they are number one in the big leagues in terms of batting average and runs per game with the Texas Rangers lineup. If you saw the starters yesterday, you had a whopping three players that were hitting below a 282. Typically, this is only two, so I mean, I guess they're downgrading a little bit here, but man, you just have so many guys that are able to slug. You've got Corey Seager that is giving you a home run every about 19 or so at bats, hitting a 340 or so. Nate Lowe, along with Marcus Simeon, Jonah Heim, they're hitting between about a 275 to 285. Got someone in Ezekiel Duran, along with Leody Tavares. Both of these guys hitting in that pocket of about a 300 as well. And then for the Detroit Tigers, they're currently in the bottom two in the big leagues in terms of road batting average as they charted out their one guy in their starting lineup hitting above a 238. Now, Matt Vierling has been able to do a solid job hitting about a 275 this far this season, but his team is very badly missing Riley Green, and they finally got a guy to be able to give them a double-figure amount of formers in Jake Rogers, but, yeah, this Detroit Tigers team also bottom five of the big leagues with that regard. If you do have one edge with the Detroit Tigers, they've been good with their bullpen. This has been a top-ten bullpen thus far this season. They pick up Anthony Machevich. We'll see what he's able to do there, but the likes of Tyler Holton, Jose Cicerno, Jason Foley, along with Will Vest, who I think is going to be out of the fold for this team moving forward. Maybe they will give you a sub-3 ERA. Alex Lang has been able to do a solid job as well, and this is a Texas Rangers bullpen that's in the bottom 10 in the big leagues in terms of ERA, though. I will say, getting back Joe Barlow is big for this team, as he, along with Josh Shaboris, Will Smith, are giving you a sub-3-3 ERAs. I do think that you're going to be able to get some good innings moving forward out of Brock Burke as well, but... I mean, this is a very fearsome Texas Rangers lineup. I do think that they're going to surrender a little bit to the Detroit Tigers, but having guys like Spencer Torkelson, Javi Baez, that are just not putting it together in general, 
I'm going to be willing to back the Texas Rangers on the run line. Was willing to go up to a minus 130. Semi-tall at 9.7. I think that the Tigers are going to be able to generate a few runs off of Dane Doning. So, looking at the over and this run line of the Texas Rangers. 961-962 on the betting board. Kansas City Royals play us to the Cleveland Guardians. Logan Allen goes for the Guardians. And it is good old to be determined for the Royals. Which is why this game is off the board. Now, the question is whether or not you're going to get Austin Cox starting this game or if he's going to be having an opener come in from, and then you get sort of Austin Cox in that bulk role. They're sort of having him become Mike Myers 2.0. No, not the Mike Myers that was playing Austin Powers in Goldmember and movies like that. Rather, Mike Myers, the pitcher that got DFA'd a few weeks ago for this bunch. But for Austin Cox, they did utilize him in sort of a bulk role against the Tampa Bay Rays. And that was a game that they won by kind of 6 of 5. I believe that that was a game where they were the biggest underdog of the year or something like that. And for Austin Cox, if you take a look at what he was able to do at the minor league level, he wasn't bad. Now, he's not a guy that you really want to be backing too much. He was posting up right around a 383 ERA at AAA Omaha. Walks have always been an issue from at the minor league level. Has always given up north of three and a half walks per nine innings. Not tremendous swing and miss stuff, but I do think that he's someone that can have a mild amount of success at the big league level. This year was really giving up the deep ball, by the way. He was giving up 2.3 home runs per nine innings. The past years at the minor league level was significantly better with that regard, but I do think that this is a little bit of a doomsday scenario. This is going to be a spot where with the Guardians, I'm willing to lay up to a minus 152 with Logan Allen and I'm going to be willing to take a plus 112 or greater on the run line, 8.5 or less, to the over 9 or higher to the under. Now for Austin Cox, who if he does end up getting the bulk roll in this one, he's backed up by a bullpen that's in the bottom three in the big leagues. In terms of VRA, Roald Chapman has been able to do a solid job for this team, but Taylor Clark has seen his ERA go north of four. Jose Kuas, guys like this, they just have not been very good in general. But what is good for this bunch is that Going up against the Cleveland Guardians team that is currently dead last in the big leagues in terms of home runs. Now, you've got Josh Naylor, Jose Ramirez. A pair of guys really starting to find it, hitting above a 285. Both have now been able to slug out a double-figure amount of homers. But reason why this team was able to make the playoffs last year is that you had Ahmed Rosario, Andres Jimenez, Stephen Kwan, along with Oscar Gonzalez, all hitting north of 270 for the team. All four of these guys earning a 259 or lower. Gonzalez has not been with the team for seemingly an eon, so... That's been a little bit of an issue. Now, the Guardians have been a little bit unlucky on balls in play, but certainly that has been hurting them quite a bit. But when it comes to this Kansas City Royals lineup, you don't have a lot of power as you had one guy in the starting lineup yesterday with north of six home runs at Bobby Witt Jr. Salvador Perez has been one of the main constants for this team, but now he's starting to deal with an injury. Vinny Pascantino being out of the fold. That's honestly too terrific. And then got the likes of Jackie Bradley Jr., Nicky Lopez, Drew Waters, MJ Melendez, Kyle Isabel, all hitting a 215 or lower for the squad. It has been a deplorable offense. They are in the bottom three in the big leagues in terms of runs per game and on-base percentage. The Cleveland Guardians they are fourth worst in the league in terms of runs per game, but with the Cleveland Guardians, number two in terms of bullpen area. They're currently dealing with an injury to James Karachek. Not a big deal, in my opinion, because Trevor Steven, Eli Morgan, Anyal De Los Santos, Savion Curry, Emmanuel Classe, Eli Morgan, all these guys have been able to give you a sub-3-3 ERA this far this season. And when it comes to the starter in Logan Allen, he's been able to do a solid job since coming up from the minor league level. We've seen a little bit of regression with him, but still, he's given up less than home run per nine innings. Walks per nine rate is a little bit north of three. You'd like to see him be able to... Iron that out a little bit, but a 338 road area, giving up two home runs at 26 and two thirds innings, strikeouts per nine rate, right around nine. I do think that the Guardians should be able to go up, have a good performance against a Royals sort of bullpen slash bulk game for Austin Cox. 
I did set the Guardians at a minus 152 on the money line. Wanted to lay up to a minus 151 there. Need at least a plus 153 to take shot on the Royals. And after less, looking at the overnight or higher to the under. 963-964 on the betting board. It is the LA Angels. They play us the Chicago White Sox. Lucas Gilito goes for the White Sox. Aime Badia goes for the Angels. And the Angels are favorites of any between minus 114 to a minus 130. Any between plus 104 to a plus 110. Your number on the White Sox. 8.5 to 9 is the total on the 8.5. Over is minus 125. The under is plus 105 on the 9. Under is between minus 115 to a minus 120. Over is between minus 105 to even money. And when it comes to the Angels, set them at a minus 133. With Lucas Giolito, he has been better this year, but Lucas Giolito has found all of his success when he has been at home. Home ERA, that is sub 3. And to the credit of Lucas Giolito, the reason why he's been able to have a little bit of a rebirth this season is that he's been able to cut down on the walks. Lucas Giolito is giving up north of three walks per nine innings. That's an issue for him. This year, more like 2.8 walks per nine innings, but he is still giving up about 1.4 home runs per nine innings, getting a rock-solid nine and a half strikeouts per nine innings. But on the road, this ERA balloons to a 4.64, and the walks per nine rate on the road is north of four. At home, it is sub two. So we've seen a big reversal there. He just seems like he's uncomfortable when he gets away from Chicago. Meanwhile, for Aime Badia, someone who started out the year as sort of a long guy at the bullpen, he has been masterful for the team, giving up less than a home run per nine innings, giving up about 2.7 walks per nine. Not necessarily the world's greatest swing and miss guy, but he's been able to work on that. He's got a buck 35 ERA at home, has yet to give up a home run thus far this season, and he's backed up by an Angels team that is looking to bash. Now, you have to fear that perhaps maybe they used up all their hits in Colorado on that game on Saturday, but Shoyo Otani leading the league with 26 home runs entering into Tuesday. This guy's been masterful, but he's not the only guy that's able to hit these bombs as Mike Trout, Brandon Drury, Hunter Renfro. Between the three of them, a combined 42 home runs. You've got Trout and Renfro hitting between about a 252 to 260 with Trout providing 363 on base. Brandon Drury hitting about a 275. Mickey Moniak has been able to hit north of a 300 whenever he's been out there because he's been dealing with some injuries. Your Rochelle hitting about a 300 as well. The catcher spot in Chad Wallach along with Matt Theus has been solid as well. And for the Angels, sixth in the big leagues in terms of bullpen ERA. Chris Savinsky's a little bit up and down, but the likes of Carlos Estevez, Jacob Webb, and Sam Bachman providing a sub-250 ERA has been great. And for the White Sox, they've been able to do a better job with their bullpen recently. Overall for the season, they're in the bottom six in the big leagues in terms of bullpen ERA. But you take a look at the last three days, and you know what? A relatively respectable eighth with a 326 ERA. Problem is, now you've got Garrett Crochet and Longfleam Hendricks back on the injury list. That is bad news. You've got two guys I like in Keenan Middleton, along with Gregory Santos, who will be able to provide a sub-3 ERA, and Kendall Graveman has been able to pick it up as well. But Joe Kelly should not be on a big league roster right now. Aaron Bummer has been absolutely terrible as well. He's got north of a 6 ERA, so I do think that a reversal is coming there for the Chicago White Sox. They are dead last in the big leagues in terms of on-base percentage on the road. Entering into yesterday, you had one guy with north of 25 at-bats with north of a 328 on-base this season. Andrew Benatendi, who's hitting at 282, and you got plenty of guys that are able to get on-base for this team as in terms of just raw batting average. Tim Anderson, Eli Jimenez, Andrew Vaughn, in between about a 236 to a 247. They've got Yasmani Grandal hitting about a 260. Luis Robert hitting about a 270. And for Robert, 22 home runs. Jake Berger has been able to supply 17 as well. These guys have the lowest walk rate in the big league. So that is really killing them. And I do think that the Angels are going to be able to take full advantage. I think that I may be going to be able to turn a good start. Willing to lay up to a minus 133 on this Angels money line. So looking there. Some until at an 8.8. .8, so being able to get a 9, I'm also going to be taking a look at this little under. In Los Angeles, the air is a little bit heavier during the nighttime, which I think is going 
going to uh, perhaps keep a home run in the yard. 965, 966 on the betting board. The Oakland A's play also the New York Yankees. Domingo Armand goes for the Yankees, and J.P. Sears is on the bump for Oakland. And Oakland is between plus 125 and plus 135 as an underdog. Meanwhile, anywhere between minus 142 to minus 155, your number on the Yankees. Eight is the total. Under is minus 115 to minus 120. The over is anywhere between even and minus 105. With the Yankees, despite the fact that Domingo Ramon got completely destroyed the last time I backed him when he was going up against the Seattle Mariners, I did set the Yankees on the money line at a minus 154. If you are taking a look at the run line, he will get a plus 120 with the Yankees. And I'm going to be willing to ride with that run line with J.P. Sears. I do think that there's a little bit of a reckoning that is coming in for him now with J.P. Sears, the one roll that I say you do have with him. He's been far better at home than he has been on the road. 309 home ERA, 484 ERA on the road, but he has given up about 1.9 home runs per nine innings. He's actually given up more home runs than walks thus far this season as the opponent's batting average is suffering right around about at 224, but when he gets hit, he gets hit incredibly hard, and for Domingo Ramon, I do think that there's going to be a little bit of positivity coming in now. The sicky stuff situation, that's not great with him to say the least. And I think we're finding out more and more that it played a big role in the revitalization of his swinging miss stuff this far this season. Because he had just 7.2 strikeouts per 9 innings last season coming off of injury. This year that was back up to 8.6. But now he's given up 1.9 home runs per 9 innings with Armand. 510 ERA, but a 530 fielding independent. Meanwhile, for JP Sears, he's got an ERA of a 410 with his fielding independent right around at 505. But the big reason why I'm going to be willing to back the Yankees here is because they do have that just rock solid dominant bullpen that is currently number one in the big leagues in terms of ERA. All these guys are coming through for you. The likes of Wandy Peralta, Tommy Canely, Ron Mananakio, Jimmy Cordero, Clay Holmes has been resurgent for this team. All these guys. Done a good job being able to provide a sub 325 ERA. Meanwhile, you've got an A's team that they've been more round leg average over the last three days in terms of their bullpen ERA. So they've been able to shape up with that regard. They're still dead last in the big leagues in terms of bullpen ERA this far this season, but it's been more respectable recently. But you still got a bunch of it as an ERA that's nearly a full point higher than any other team in the American League. You're relying upon guys like Trevor May, Austin Pruitt. Richard Lovelady being on the injured list, that hurts them. You've got a whole bunch of guys with north of a 375 ERA going up against the Yankees bunch. Of, obviously, without having Aaron Judge in the fold, it's been deplorable for them. And Anthony Brizzo just has not been himself. Over the last three days, has been hitting below the Mendoza line of a 200. You've got Anthony Volpe, John Carlos Esvaldo Cabrera, guys like this hitting below a 200. The entire catcher spot has been rough. But getting back Harrison Bader, who's been able to hit about a 255, provide a solid on base, and it's been up off the scene. You absolutely need John Carlos to be able to pick it up with regards to average. I recognize the batting average is not an end-all be-all, but I mean, this guy is still hitting below 200 himself. Billy McKinney has actually been probably your best hitter for the Yankees recently and for the Oakland A's. They just can't hit at home. Entering into the series, a 207 home batting average, 20 points lower than any other team in the big leagues. With J.J. Blade A, Jace Peterson, Seth Brown, Tony Kemp, all these guys hitting a 215 or lower. You've got a steady Ruiz who's been able to provide the team with 39 stolen bases, hitting a 260, batting in the nine hole. What are we doing here? 
And it's just been very strange to say the least. Brent Rooker has been able to give the team 13 home runs, really the only guy with a double-figure amount of homers on this roster. And I do think that Domingo Roman is going to give up some runs, but J.P. Sears he has been giving up hard contact all season long as well. So I did set my total at 8.3. I've taken a lot of unders with the Yankees as ever since Aaron Judge went on the fold, 14 out of their last 18 games, four runs or fewer. But I do think that the familiarity with the Yankees, knowing that Sears was in the organization about 12 months ago, he was a part of that Frankie Montas deal, that actually helps out the Yankees' bats in this spot. So I'm looking at the over with the Yankees. I'm willing to take them on the run line as I do think that they get to Sears. I do think that Armand bounces back. So looking at the run line of the Yankees and the over, 967-968 on the main board. The Minnesota Twins hit the road. They're facing off against the Atlanta Braves. As it is good old to be determined going for the Atlanta Braves. They get to my eight is on the bump for Minnesota. So this game is off the board. Right now, I am thinking that you're going to be getting Mike Soroka for the Atlanta Braves. If it is one Mr. Mike Soroka going up against Kenta Maeda, I did set the Braves on the money line at a minus 146. I would need at least a plus 147 to be able to dive in on the Minnesota Twins. I did make my total 9.4 to where a 9 or less, I'd be willing to take a look at the over 9.5 prior to the under. Kenta Maeda married his first start really since April a few days ago and looked relatively rock solid. The one asterisk that you've got with that start for Kenta Maeda coming back is that it was against the Detroit Tigers. He had eight strikeouts and five scoreless innings, but now you have to go up against an Atlanta Braves team that uh, their first five hitters, four of them were able to play yesterday, and this is an Atlanta Braves team that is absolutely on one. They've got the best win percentage in the National League, both at home and on the road. You've got seven different guys that will be able to pound out at least 12 home runs thus far this season. You've got all sorts of guys moving the line. They're number one in the National League in terms of overall batting average. Ronald Cunha Jr. right now the odds on favor for National League MVP with 35 stolen bases, 400 on base, 17 home runs. You've got Matt Olson providing 25 home runs. Eddie Rosario sitting well above a 300 over the last three days. Ozzy Albies has been able to give you 18 home runs. And you've got Michael Harris now hitting well above a 300 over the last three days as well. That is fearsome going up against the Twins team that is currently second worst in the big leagues in terms of road batting average. And you do have some power when it comes to this Minnesota Twins team as well as Max Kepler, Carlos Correa, Joey Gallo, Michael A. Taylor, Byron Buxton, all with the double-figure amount of homers. You don't have a single one of these five guys hitting above a 213. That is very alarming. Nobody with north of a 305 on base as well. You've been able to have Eric's curl off, move the line. He's been able to give you about a 365 on base. Ryan Jeffers, when he's been out there as well, about a 375 on base. Royce Lewis has been solid as well, but all in all, for the Minnesota Twins, they just have not been able to do a good job of getting on base in general. And this is a Minnesota Twins bullpen that overall this season has been solid. In terms of bullpen area, the Minnesota Twins, they rank at the top 10 in the league entering into yesterday at number 6. But now you've got Brock Stewart out of the fold. And Brock Stewart was providing a sub-2 ERA. Yohan Duran, sub-2 ERA out of him. And Griffin Jacks has been relatively okay this year, about a 320 ERA. But... Now you're relying upon Emilio Begon for some more innings. Giovanni Morin has been all over the place. Brent Hedrick is someone that I don't really have faith in. And for the Atlanta Braves, this team entered into yesterday number 8 in the big leagues in terms of bullpen area, dealing with an injury to Jesse Chavez. Dylan Lee is still currently out of the full, but Kirby Yates, along with someone like Horacio Iglesias, Nick Anderson, these guys have been able to do a solid job. Iglesias for the year as north of a 4-5 ERA, but recently has been much better. He was coming off of injury, so I do like what he's been able to bring to the table. And I do think that for the Atlanta Braves, if you do throw out there Mike Soroka, when he got called back up to the big league level, it wasn't necessarily too terrific, but he's going to be cut a break here. And I would probably expect this to be a little bit more of a piecemeal game itself because 
This was supposed to be A.J. Smith Schwaber's start. He got sent down to the minor leagues, and for Mike Soroka, when he got called up to the big leagues, gave up nine runs across nine and two-thirds innings, but I do think that with him just having all those injuries in general, he's going to get more comfortable as things go along, and when he was at full force a few years ago, was pretty solid. So, a spot where at a nine or less looking at the over nine and a half prior to the under would be one to lay up to a minus 145 on the Braves money line on the run line. If I may able to get a plus 128 or higher, I would entertain that with the Braves as well as I do think that this is going to be a higher scoring game. Plus 147 or higher. Looking at the Minnesota Twins. 969, 970 on the betting board. It is the Washington Nationals. They're on the road. They're facing off against the Seattle Mariners. Logan Gilbert goes for Seattle and Patrick Corbin is on the bump for Washington. Washington is anywhere between a plus 205 to a plus 215 underdog. Anywhere between minus 235 and minus 250. Your number on Seattle. 8 to 8.5 is the total on the 8.5. Under is minus 115. The over is minus 105 on the 8. Over and under. Anywhere between minus 105 to a minus 115. And for the Mariners, set them at a minus 248 on the money line. If you're looking at their run line, you're getting it at a minus 115, which is good value, in my opinion. I set this at a minus 130. Logan Gilbert has been one of the more unlucky pitchers in baseball this season. If you take a look at the way that Logan Gilbert has thrown in, Logan Gilbert has actually thrown really well this year, but it just feels like he's a victim of a few seeing-eye singles, and it feels like just when he gets those one or two guys to get on with the seeing-eye single, that's when he gives up the three-run homer as for our good friend in Logan Gilbert, 9.3 strikeouts and 1.8 walks per nine innings, giving up 1.3 home runs per nine innings, 407 ERA, and a 364 fielding independent. But things seem to be turning around from a little bit. Two runs are fear surrendered in three out of his last four starts. And for Logan Gilbert, it's actually been really interesting to take a look at him at home versus on the road because Seattle's a little bit more of a pitcher-friendly ballpark. Most of the West Coast ballparks in general are just because of how dense the air is. But four ERA compared to a 411 ERA on the road, giving up more home runs per nine innings when he has been at home thus far this season and for Patrick Corbin. 532 ERA and he's just not getting a lot of swings and misses. Now, to the credit of Patrick Corbin, he's done a good job of being able to reduce the walks. He's not killing himself with that regard, giving up fewer than three walks per nine innings, but 5.7 strikeouts per nine innings, giving up home run and half per nine innings. His 532 ERA is right on line with his 517 fielding independent. Not really getting lucky, not really getting unlucky, and He's all of a sudden getting tattooed recently as he's given up three plus runs and now five out of his last six starts on the road. 634 ERA, giving up a home runs per nine rate that is north of two and a half. Now for the Seattle Mariners, the team is in the bottom five of the big leagues in terms of batting average. You do have a quartet of guys that will be able to give you a double figure amount of formers. Jared Kelnick, Tasker Hernandez, Udio Rodriguez, coupled with Cal Raleigh. One of these guys have not been able to hit for necessarily a lot of average on the team, but Rodriguez, Hernandez, Kelnick, all between a 245 to a 255. That's that, though. The likes of Mike Ford and Eugenio Suarez, along with A.J. Pollock, guys like this hitting below a 220. That's absolutely killing this team. Meanwhile, we've got a Washington Nationals team that's in the top eight in the big leagues in terms of batting average. They have the fewest strikeouts of any team on a per-at-bat basis in the big leagues, but lack of power is absolutely killing them. They're in the bottom two in the National League in terms of total home runs. Wayne Thomas has been able to supply 14 to his credit, and with Thomas, along with Riley Adams, Victor Robles, Joey Manessas, these are all guys that entered in the series, hitting at least a 290. You've been able to have Good at bats as well from someone like Luis Garcia is able at about a 275. Jameer Candelario, 10 bombs, about a 335 on base. But because you've got that lack of power, you've got a lot of men that get stranded on base. And for the Washington Nationals, worst bullpen in terms of ERA in the National League. Thaddeus Ward as north of a 5 ERA. They're kicking the tires on guys like Corey Abbott and Joe LaSorsa, which I mean, to this point, this actually not went terribly for these guys. So credit where credit is due. Jordan Weems has been able to give you a few okay innings, but... They're trying to mix and match 
with what has been a terrible bullpen. Meanwhile, for the Seattle Mariners, fourth in the league in terms of bullpen area. They have been able to have some nice finds as Andres Munoz was out for much of the season. They're still without Penn Murphy, but for Munoz, so it's a limited sample size. He has yet to give up a run thus far this season. Then we've got the likes of Taylor Sacido, Ty Adcock, Gabe Spire, who have all been able to give you about a sub 3-2 ERA. Matt Brash has not necessarily been himself, but he's been able to shape up recently as well. So I do think that Logan Gilbert going to be able to go out there, turn a good start. I was willing to lay up to a minus 130 on the run line. So being able to get this out of minus 115, sign me up there. And I did set my total at an 8.2, being able to get an 8 with Patrick Corbin on the mound. Going to be taking a look at the over and the run line of Seattle. 971-972 on the betting board. It is the Baltimore Orioles. They play also Cincinnati Reds. Yes, we are on the Cincinnati and Luke Weaver gets a start for them. Kyle Gibson is on the bump for Baltimore. Total on this game is between 9 and 9.5. On the 9.5, under is minus 120. The over is even. On the 9, over is minus 120. And the under is even with Baltimore. They are between minus 160 to minus 170 favorites. Any between plus 140 and plus 152, your number on Cincinnati. And with the Reds, I needed at least a plus 152 to be able to take a shot. We have just reached at plus 152. And if you are taking a look at the run line, you're only getting a plus 115 laying a run and a half with the Baltimore Orioles. If we're able to find more like about a minus 125 to a minus 130 and we're finding the Reds at like a plus 150 on the money line, that's not the world's worst look. But at current numbers, I'd be willing to take that plus 152 on the Reds, recognizing that Luke Weaver has been terrible this year. Luke Weaver has been hickory because he has been getting smoked time and time again, giving up at least three runs in each out of his last five starts, giving up at least three runs in, quite frankly, all but two of his starts thus far this season, and he's made 12 of them. So far from savory, he's actually been better on the road than he has been at home. Not saying a whole heck of a lot because he's got a 798 home ERA, 581 ERA on the road, giving up more like 1.6 home runs per nine innings. Not great, but you know what? It's improvement. Meanwhile, for Kyle Gibson, this is a guy that's starting to get a little bit destroyed as well over his last five starts. He's supposed to get up a 554 ERA. He's been able to do a better job at home rather than on the road throughout his career, but we've seen that reverse this year. 442 home ERA, 422 ERA on the road. As for the Baltimore Orioles, it's also a very top-heavy bullpen that has been concerned as well. For the Orioles, they're in the top half of the big leagues in terms of bullpen ERA because Felix Bautista and Junior Cano are absolutely magnificent entering into yesterday with a sub-125 ERA. Danny Columbia has been able to give you a sub-3 ERA, but then you're going to dig the likes of CNL Perez, Mike Bauman, Brian Baker. Guys like this are posting up north of 4 ERA. That's a little bit of a concern. And for the Cincinnati Reds, like average bullpen ERA, right around 15th, but you've been able to have quite a few guys do a solid job for this team. Alexis Diaz is one of the more underrated closers in the big leagues. I like what you've been able to get out of the likes of Lucas Sims, Alex Young, Buck Farmer, all being able to provide a sub-3-5 ERA. And then for the Cincinnati Reds, it's about a team that just has not been able to provide a lot of power this far this season until recently when Ellie De La Cruz got called up to the big leagues. The power, it started to surge. Jonathan India, Spencer Sear, Jake Fraley, all between 10 and 12 home runs entering into yesterday, all providing at least a 350 on base. And that is what the Reds have been able to do to be able to generate their runs this season. They just move the line. They do so by being able to take quite a few walks. They've been one of the better teams in terms of that discipline all season long. And for the Cincinnati Reds, this team is currently fourth in the big leagues in terms of road on base percentage. As you've also got some like a TJ Friedel, who's been able to give you about a 375 on base. We all know about Elliot De La Cruz. He's been able to provide a 375 on base on the road this far this season as well. But all in all, it is a lineup that they just do a good job of piecemealing things together. And the Orioles are sort of in that same vein as well. 
Orioles hovering right around 10th on the league in terms of runs per game. Anthony Santander has had a nice burner run to be able to get up to 14 home runs after he was really dealing with a back issue towards the beginning part of the season. Now we're starting to see him surge, hitting about a 275. But then you've got likes of Gunnar Anderson along with Adley Rushman. Combined 21 home runs. Rushman, about a 380 on base. It's been a little bit hot and cold for him, but you've got then someone like a Austin the Says kid hitting about a 320. Cedric Mullins has been able to give you a 355 on base. He and Ore Mateo combined 34 stolen bases. Aaron X, ever since he got picked up, nearly a 400 on base with the Baltimore Orioles. So these guys have been able to do a solid job. I do think that you're going to have a nice expose of offense. Luke Weaver has been absolutely terrible. Kyle Gibson, not really much to write home about. And being able to get north of a plus 150 on the Cincinnati Reds, sign me up there for that money line to go along with a total over set my total at 9.7. So whether you've got 9 or 9.5, like it over on both fronts. 973, 974 on the betting board. The Toronto Blue Jays play OC San Francisco Giants. Logan Webb goes for the Giants and Chris Bassett as the hook, line, and sinker for Toronto. This game is presently off the board, but we talked about it a little bit with our good friend Charlie DeCirco. I made my line minus 107 on the Blue Jays. One lay up to a minus 106 with them. Pretty much a plus 108 or greater. Taking a look at the Giants and and after less, look at the over 9 or higher to the under. The one trepidation that you do have with this game is that Logan Webb has just always been so much better at home than he has been on the road. And it's not to say that Logan Webb has been like chopped liver on the road and he hasn't been good or anything like that. He just has his numbers really be coming down so much because he is such a dominant home pitcher, giving up less than a half a home run per nine innings throughout his career when he has been at home on the road. It's more like 0.9 home runs per nine innings. It's still a really good number, but 289 career home ERA compared to a 392 ERA on the road. Meanwhile, you've got someone in Chris Bassett that the regression monster has been hungry, and he has been eating a whole lot of Chris Bassett recently, and I do think that Bassett Starting to get his numbers sort of online with what they should be. A 4.32 ERA compared to a 5.04 fielding independent. Getting above 8 strikeouts per 9 and he's 3 walks per 9. He's a ordinary pitcher. He's not a terrible pitcher, but he's an ordinary pitcher. Now, the reason why this game is off the board is that the Blue Jays might be looking to utilize an opener for Chris Bassett. Because if you look at what Chris Bassett has done this year, he has given up darn near all of his runs in the first inning. I have no idea how. I have no idea why. But first time through, when he's facing these guys... He just gets completely tattooed. First time facing opponents, he has given up 8 home runs and 131 at-bats. Rest of the game, he has given up 8 home runs and north of about 220 at-bats. So, it's been very striking to take a look at him just struggle out of the gates. From there, he's able to settle down and he's able to hold down the fort, but has been absolutely destroying him. So, that is something to watch out for. Meanwhile, the Toronto Blue Jays just been so odd to look at this team be pretty league average with regards to their offensive numbers. Right around 14th of the league in terms of home runs, runs per game, what have you. you got George Springer, Matt Chapman, Vladger Jr. all entering into Tuesday with between 10 and 11 home runs. All these guys are moving the line. Springer, 330 on base. Chapman, Flagger Jr. between a 345 to a 355 on base. And then you got Bobachet, 14 home runs, hitting above 300. You've got plenty of guys that they're able to do a nice job of hitting for average. As Kevin Kiermeyer has been a little bit in and out of the fold, but when he's been in, he's been able to do 275. What Merrifield has been able to a little bit north of a 290 as well. Brandon Belt is back. He's able to give you north of a 370 on base, former Giant there. And for the Giants, their platooning splits, they just continue to be masterful. And for the Giants, this is a bunch of 
They just hit so much better on the road than they do at home because they play at Oracle Park, as we know, one of the more pitcher-friendly ballparks in the big leagues. And they have really mastered the art of just being able to have those splits be so good for them on the road. They are actually number one in the league in terms of on-base percentage. On the road, they lead the league in terms of runs per game. They get right around 1.6 home runs per game when they're on the road at home. It's been more like 1 to 1.1 home runs per game. So that's been interesting to take a look at with a team in which just everyone provides functional power. You're not going to have anyone that really hits for north of 30 home runs as far as the season. Your leader in home runs is Michael Conforto with 12, but you're going to end up with like seven different guys to give you 20-plus home runs. As you got Jack Peterson, Thario Estrada, Lamonte Wade, J.D. Davis, Mikey Stromsky, all with between 8 and 10 home runs this far this season. Then you got someone like J.D. Davis hitting for a 365 on base. Lamonte Wade Jr., 415 on base. Jack Peterson is back. He's hitting a 380 on base. These guys just do such a great job on that front. And for the San Francisco Giants, number one bullpen in terms of ERA over the last 45 days in the big leagues. It's been rising a little bit just because they had like an unsustainable sub-two bullpen ERA over the last 45 days until last week or so. But you've really been able to get good production out of both Taylor and Tyler Rogers. They're both supplying a sub-three ERA. You've been able to have Ryan Walker come up. He's been able to do a solid job. The bulk guys are the guys that you're a little bit concerned about, like Keaton Wynn, Sean Manea. They've been the toughest of them all, but the more of your traditional relievers, like Camilio Duvall, the closer for the team, has been absolutely terrific. And you do have a Toronto Blue Jays team that they've been okay with regards to their bullpen. They're hovering right around 13th of the league in terms of bullpen ERA. DeMesa, Eric Swanson, they both have been able to do a nice job with a sub-350 ERA. Been able to get some good innings as well out of someone like a Bowden Francis when he's been called upon as well. Joe Romano, so a relatively good closer. It's the guys like Nate Pearson, Yimmy Garcia that have been costly for the team. So it is a very interesting circumstance. I said my total at 8.78 and after less looking at the over 9 or higher to the under. And with the Giants plus 108 or greater, we'll take them on the money line. 975, 976 on the bidding board. It is the Boston Red Sox. They play also the Miami Marlins. Braxton Garrett goes for the Marlins. Right now I'm seeing on Fangraphs a projection of Justin Garza getting the start. For the Boston Red Sox, this is a game that's off the board because we do not know who's going to be starting for the Red Sox. My speculation is we're going to get some former capacity of a bullpen game here. And in bullpen game versus Braxton Garrett, I set the Red Sox at a minus 123 on the money line. We need at least a plus 124 to take a shot on the Marlins. One lay up to a minus 122 with the Red Sox. And made my total 9.1. Nonetheless, look at the over 9.5 prior to the under. Braxton Garrett has been relatively solid for the Miami Marlins thus far this season. If you take out that one just deplorable start that he had against the Atlanta Braves, he had one start. It was towards like the beginning part of May where he gave up 11 runs in four and a third innings. I mean, it was just a complete yuck burger. He's been able to have a sub-250 ERA this year. He's done a good job of being able to control the walks. As his walks per nine rate is sub-2. His strikeouts per nine rate is above 10. He does also now have to go up against a Boston Red Sox team that has the highest home batting average of any team in the league. They've got very demonstrative home and road splits. With the Red Sox, they get about 4.1 runs per game when they're on the road. At home, it's more like 5.8 runs per contest. Now, they are trotting out there a few guys due to injury as you saw a start yesterday for someone like David Hamilton. That is a clear downgrade for this team, but Rafael Devers says maybe we'll give you 
18 plus home runs and there's just so many guys that they get such a big boost when they're at home. Someone like an Alex Verdugo, for example. He on the road this year has not given you a whole heck of a lot. Hitting about a 248, 322 on base at home. 420 on base. Hitting north of a 350 going into yesterday. Masataka Yoshida has really been the main constant. Hitting about a 300 both at home and on the road. Some like a Justin Turner down for what this far this season. Hitting about a 280 overall but at home. 312 on the road. 241. You just find this with so many of these guys on the Red Sox. Meanwhile, you've got a Miami Marlins team that is top-heavy. Luis Arise, he's currently trying to chase, hitting a 400 overall for the season, just below that. And then Ori Soler, 20-plus home runs. Getting back Jazz Chislam should be able to help them out a little bit, but he, Brian De La Cruz, a combined 17 home runs between the two of them. You've got someone like Gene Segura, who I recognize he went to EPS Ray, but he and Jacob Selling sitting below the Mendoza line, 200. That's rough as for Miami. They and the Milwaukee Brewers, bottom two teams, in the National League in terms of runs per game. Got a pair of relatively comparable bullpens. As for the Boston Red Sox, they're hovering right in the neighborhood about 13th to 14th in the league in terms of bullpen ERA. You do have a few guys like Brennan Bernardino, who I mentioned, who might be the opener in this game, and Justin Garza, have been able to give you some relatively solid innings. I don't necessarily have a lot of faith in Kenley Jansen. is always a little bit of a roll of the dice as well, but Chris Martin has been able to give you a sub-3 ERA. Josh Winkowski has been good as well. Meanwhile, for the Miami Marlins, it's sort of the same thing. Some like an Andrew Nardi, A.J. Puck, they've been able to give you a sub-3-3 ERA. Fortunately, the bullpen was spared a little bit with Sandy Alcantara being able to give some good length yesterday, but when you get to Archie Bradley, J- Dylan Floro, J.T. Chargois, these guys have not necessarily been too terrific either, so it's a very interesting handicap because I do think that it's going to be the wholesale approach for the Boston Red Sox. Nine or less looking at the over nine and a half higher to the under end with the Red Sox. One to lay up to a minus 122 with them, plus 124 or higher looking at the fish. 977, 978 on the bank board. It is Houston Astros on the road facing off against the St. Louis Cardinals. Miles Michaelis goes for the cards and Christian Avier is on the bump for the Astros. And the Astros are in a pick'em game. Both teams are in between minus 104 to a minus 110. Totals nine overs any between even money and minus 110. The unders any between minus 110 to a minus 120. And I feel like the Astros should be the favorite. Set them at a minus 116. Mentioned this with Charlie DeCirco. For Christian Avier, do you have some concerns with him? Yes, you do, because the swing and miss stuff is a little bit down this year. Last year, he was getting north of 10 and a half strikeouts per nine innings. That's more around 8.3, 8.4 strikeouts per nine innings this season. And he has given up four plus runs in two out of his last three starts. But you also take a look if you're utilizing that metric as well. He has given up one run or fewer in five out of his last seven. I'm not going to pound the alarm too much just because of that bad start against the Mets. That was still a game that the team won just sometimes. You have craziness that happens in baseball in general. So I'm still very much in on Christian Avier. Guy that has been giving up one home run per nine innings. Has done a good job after he gave up north of 3.2 walks per nine innings last season of reducing that to more like 2.6, 2.7 walks per nine innings. And for Miles Michaelis, it was a no good, very bad, terrible start to the year. Then he picked it up. Now it's back to a no good, very bad, terrible June. As in his four starts in the month of June, has been supplying a 5.63 ERA. Has done a good job of being able to control the deep ball. He's given up just... Four home runs over the course of his last 10 starts, so he's been able to do a great job on that front, but for Miles Michaelis, he is not going to be someone that is going to be mowing them down, getting 10 plus strikeouts in this start, as for Miles Michaelis, very much a pitch-to-contact guy, someone that's looking to avoid barrels, getting 6.3 strikeouts and 1.8 walks per nine, and he's fielding independent as 404, relatively online, with his 423 ERA overall, and for Miles Michaelis, 
497 home ERA compared to a 363 road ERA. And it's been so interesting to take a look at this St. Louis Cardinals team. We talked with Matt Pauly last week as to why the team has had a better record on the road than they have at home. Despite the fact that at home is where they're supplying all the boom. This is a St. Louis Cardinals team that at home is averaging about 5.2 to 5.3 runs per game. More like 4.07 on the road. And yet they've got a worse home record than they do a road record. It makes absolutely no sense whatsoever considering St. Louis is supposed to be a semi-pitcher from the ballpark as for the Cardinals. You really don't have a fade in this bullpen. You don't necessarily have that one guy that's able to lock it down with Ryan Helsley being out due to injury. You've got a Cardinals team that's hovering right in the neighborhood about 17th to 18th in terms of bullpen ERA with pretty much everyone posting up right around about a four. Giovanni Gallegos along with someone like Andre Pallanti, Drew Verhagen. They're just very milquetoast guys. You got Steven Madsen on the bullpen. That is not necessarily the world's greatest for this team. And Genesis Cabrera's been a little bit up and down. And for the Houston Astros, you've got a very good fearsome three for the team as you've got Hector Neris, Brian Abreu, and Phil Maton who have all been able to give you a sub-3 ERA. Ryan Presley has been a little bit up and down as closer. He's been pretty solid. You just have to avoid Rafael Montero. He has been providing north of a 70 ERA. We saw him on Sunday Night Baseball give up that jack to cash it over for us, but it's not been good to say the least, but I do think that for the Astros, they're going to be able to do a functional job with their lineup. Without Jordan Alvarez, it's been a little bit up and down, but we saw plenty of guys that are able to move the line for this team. Mauricio Dubon at the leadoff spot has been solid, hitting about a 285. You've got Yanir Diaz, who all of a sudden is available at about a 280. He doesn't draw any walks whatsoever, and for the Astros in general, you don't have a lot of guys that they do a good job of running counts other than someone like an Alex Bregman with a 343 on base, but you do have guys that they have been able to do a nice job of just being able to find a way to get hits. Jeremy Pena, a little bit of a down year for him. He and Chaz McCormick along with Corey Jolks in between about 245 to 255, but been able to have Kyle Tucker provide about a 350 on base as well. And then for the St. Louis Cardinals, you know, I've had Nolan Gorman just go into a big giant rut. He was out of the starting lineup yesterday, and rightfully so. He's been hitting well below the Mendoza line of 200 over the last three days. Paul Goldschmidt continues to provide about a 375 on base. And though he's not providing a lot of average, Paul DeYoung has been able to give you 12 home runs. Nolan Arenado has been all over the place this season, but for Nolan Arenado, you take a look at his last three days, hitting for about a 295 with six home runs. You're certainly going to be able to take that. Dylan Carlson has been able to pound out a few bombs, and Jordan Walker is hitting above a 300, but just a very inconsistent Cardinals lineup that they either give you seven plus runs or they give you a big giant nothing burger, and I do think that Javier is going to be able to hold these bats at bay. I set my total at 8.3, looking at the under. Animal in the back, the Astros up to a minus 115 on the money line, and we wrap things up with my DK Nation right up pick 979, 980 on the betting board. The Arizona Diamondbacks play OC Tampa Bay Rays. Zach Eflin hopes to not be Eflin awful for the Rays, and we got Zach Davies on the bump for Arizona. In the battle of Zachs, you've got the Rays as between a minus 145 to a minus 155. Favorite aim between plus 130 and plus 140, your number on Arizona. Nine is the total. Over is between minus 110 to a minus 115. The under is any between minus 105 to a minus 110. Pointed it out with Charlie DeCirco. I am very surprised we're seeing a 9 in this game. I felt like this total should have been a little bit north of 10. My write-up pick is on the over. You got someone in Zach Eflin that it's not just this year. It's really the entirety of his career that he just has not been able to pitch on the road the same way that he has at home. And I do believe that it is sometimes a little bit of a mindset thing when it comes to a pitcher. Because for Zach Eflin this year, 335 ERA, 9.1 strikeouts, and 1.6 walks per 9 innings overall. But at home, 217 ERA, 0.9 home runs per 9 innings allowed, 209 opponents batting average. That spikes to 258 on the road, 
5.08 road area with 1.3 home runs allowed for nine innings. And for Zach Davies, he's been much worse at home than he has been on the road. A 7.82 ERA for a good friend of Davies who has allowed at least six, count of six runs in his last three starts. 9.90 ERA at home. Five starts overall. He's won 20 innings and he's only given up two home runs at home. He's got a sub one home runs per nine rate at home with a 9.90 ERA. How bad do you have to be to have that happen? That's what Zach Davies has been able to do. You got a pair of milk dose bullpens. For the Rays, they're 14th of the league in terms of bullpen area, and I will give them credit. It's been very good recently. Number one in the league in terms of bullpen area over the last three days. Colin Boucher, Jason Adams, Pete Fairbanks are able to give you a sub three ERA. They've been able to have a nice reclamation project with someone like a Jake Diekman, so they've been able to do their part. Diamondbacks are 19th. Though Joe Mantiply coming off the injury list has not necessarily been too terrific for the team. You've had Andrew Chafin be able to do a rock solid job. He, Scott McGough, Kyle Nelson are able to give you a sub 3 3 ERA. Miguel Castro has been looking a little bit better recently as well. And got an Arizona Diamondbacks team that they're fourth in the league in terms of batting average or fifth in terms of runs per game. You've been able to have a trio of guys like Kitty Marte, Christian Walker, Corbin Carroll combined for 45 home runs as far this season. Carroll, 23 stolen bases, 370 on base. Marte, 375 on base. And then you've got also Christian Walker hitting about a 280. Geraldo Perdomo has been able to give you a 400 on base. You've got Emmanuel Rivera stepping up, hitting above a 300. It's been seldom used as far this season. He's been a little bit in on the full, but all in all, Diamondbacks have been able to do a great job with that lineup. And then for the Tampa Bay Rays, they're in the top three in the big leagues in terms of both home runs and runs per game as you've got 11 different guys providing at least seven home runs as far this season. Randy Arozarena, 400 on base, 14 home runs. Yandy Diaz, 400 on base, 12 home runs. Luke Rayley, 350 on base, 12 home runs. You've got so many guys that they're able to pound the ball. They do it against righties especially, but they do a great job against both righties and lefties. I do think that the Tampa Bay Rays just keep that offense humming in. I think that Zach Davies just continues to give up a copious amount of runs. So by DK Nation write a pick, that is going to be on this total over. And with the Rays, I set them at a minus 156 on the money line. If you're taking a look at that run line, you're currently finding it at a plus 120. I was willing to take a plus 105 or greater. So taking a look at that plus 120 run line to go along with the over, which is write a pick. And that will wrap things up. For the Wednesday edition of the Baseball Betting Show, now part of the Visa Family Podcast, big thanks to Charlie DeCirco of Action Network for joining me in last segment. If you do like hearing from this fine podcast, the Baseball Betting Show, you're able to subscribe wherever your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Citra, and TuneIn. If you have a question, comment, segment idea, whatever you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at unit underscore 81. Keep in mind, letters M. They mean it does not matter, so as per usual, please send these into the timeline and the other ways find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated from there. Airable fire and whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via the five-star review coming at you guys every single day throughout the baseball season. That means I'm coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hannah Storm and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is 
finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.